You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning again, and I've got some catching up to do after not having been here for a couple weeks in the pulpit. So um, I just do want to thank Brandon. He's counting. Oh, he's right there. Thank you, Brandon, last, uh, well, two weeks ago for filling in. Appreciate you helping us, encouraging us in fellowship. So as you're walking right here. So this is great. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, I really, I really appreciate that. And then my thanks to Martin Luther for covering last week. We've got a picture of him. Kaylin drew this last week. And uh, I don't know if Kaylin, I don't think Kaylin's here this morning, Kaylin Collins. But uh, I like the hair. He got the hair down. That's the, that's the. I think, you know, I looked that up, this, a sign of consecration, kind of a sign of non-world, or non-worldliness uh, was to shave kind of that, that part off. I, uh, I used a wig. I, I was halfway joking about maybe I should just do it, you know, but we didn't go that far. So anyway, but Kaylin got the picture there, and I appreciate that. And then a couple of weeks ago when we were still in Romans, and that's where we're heading back to today, if you want to turn to Romans 7, we had this from Malachi. And here was Romans verse 20, and just kind of wonderfully built, written kind of this word art. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, the goiness of sin. You've got it illustrated there that dwells within me, and that's wonderful. He's got more artwork in the back along with others that you can look at, and um, it's getting better and better, Malachi, so appreciate that. We are going to be in Romans. We are back to Romans, and we're going to try to we're going to seek to finish chapter seven today in these last verses of Romans, of the chapter verses twenty one through twenty five. I am going to attempt to. I want to take us back though to verse seven, since it's been a little bit, and by way of reading the scripture, let the scriptures uh, kind of review for us what has gone before, and we'll see how how good I can get through some of this. Do not do what I want and. Uh, as we read. But let's, let's come to God's Word. I'm going to start in Romans 7, verse 7, and then we'll come to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not, not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Let's pray before we go and dive into this. Lord, you are gracious. Just reading in Psalm, I believe, 136 today, over and over and over and over and over is your steadfast love, and it endures forever. It's on display in the gospel of Jesus Christ and your mercy to sinners, wretched sinners like us. Lord, today may we get another glimpse another view to the cross and to Christ that we would treasure you above any other thing that we would truly be able to sing I'd rather have Jesus and Lord I know when we when we sing songs like that the truth is there there are often many things we would presumably rather have Lord forgive us and lead us to you and you alone Lord, help us to fight the the influence of the world upon us, not to be out of this world. We're here in it. We're to proclaim your message. And yet, Lord, we want to have your voice, your uh, love for you on our lips as we do it. And so guide us in that as we study this portion of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every sermon that's preached ought to be personal in a in a sense that is that i as the preacher when i'm proclaiming the truths of scripture i'm proclaiming them to you but i'm also i'm with you in coming under them that, that the same scriptures i'm proclaiming are scriptures you're coming under brandon gave a personal sermon in dealing with fellowship and our need to fellowship with one another and i think here in romans 7 we're coming to a personal sermon both for me as i preach again personal for me it's personal for you as you listen and seek to grow from god's word and i also think personal for paul this is this is paul this is the apostle paul all these epistles that he's written these letters and we're going to see that in verse 24 he's going to call himself as we read wretched man that i am that's pretty personal of paul to make that admission kind of like your favorite Bible teacher maybe that you listen to on the radio or a podcast, or just your favorite one saying, you know, I too, I am with this wretched man that I am. And sometimes we wrongly, we lift them up and think, well, surely they don't deal with sin and surely they're, they somehow got a step above. We're all in the same boat of need of Christ and of Him. And so Paul is going to show us and he's going to show us the challenge going on in our hearts. And this is Paul really bearing out the struggles that we who are in Christ, the struggles we have in life, the wrestle of the 
the Spirit in us, and yet the flesh. And so verses 21 through 25 really form kind of a a conclusion here to this chapter. And so we want to work uh, through them kind of verse by verse and, and look at this battle within once again. So come back to verse 21 where it says, So, kind of a therefore idea, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Last time we discussed kind of this broader uh, chapter and these two views that is Paul, is he writing to unbelievers here, the unregenerate, the, those that are not born again, maybe that's who he has in mind, or, or those who are actually born again, those are believers in Christ, is that who he's writing to? I think verse 21 here would serve as evidence towards Paul writing to believers. There are four verbals, and they might be kind of harder to find in English, but you can, all of them are in the present tense. I find presently it to be a law that I think when I want is in present, to do is in present, and evil lies close at hand. They're all in the, the present tense. This is Paul, again, an apostle. He's following Christ. He's willing to be jailed for the sake of the gospel, and yet even he finds that presently when he wants to do good, Evil lies close at hand. And he lays it out in a way, kind of like a summary, like a, I find it to be a, a law that he's found. And, and I think he's got in mind here a law like, I find it to be a principle. Uh, that's how the NASB translates this first part. I think so I find it to be a principle, or principle is the word used there. And so the tension in, in Paul is that of, it's, it's a tension of what he wants Verse 15, he wants to do good, but instead he does what he hates. Verse 18, he has the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And so in verse 21, he wants to do right. He wants to do the right thing. But in one form or another, the, world, the, the wanting comes up to be evil lying close at hand. And actually the wanting, it's used seven times in this chapter, and this is the, the seventh time in this verse right here. I would submit that Paul's wanting here, along with our own wanting to do the right thing, to do a good work is a work of God's Spirit within. I think of Galatians 5.17, it says, For the desires, we read this in Sunday school, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This wanting to do right, it's transformation of God by His Holy Spirit in a changing of our passions and desires, making us alive, giving us a new heart by His Holy Spirit to want then what God wants. In the context, Romans 6 verse 17 said, I think in a similar way, but thanks be to God, we're going to see that later even in our section, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And even in our chapter, verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 6, we've got serving in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. It's really the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, or you can look up Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, this new heart that God gives by His Spirit, a softening of our heart for the things of God. Nonetheless, though, in this verse, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
This is not an evil in some far off place, but within Paul himself. He's wrestling with this. And I wonder if you could agree and you see this at work in your life. You could even take this morning, for instance, even just, we'll just use the preacher up here, preaching God's word. It's, it's a noble, we would say, that's a good task. It's something that is a, it's a good thing to do. We're called preach the word, scriptural, faithfully, or faithfully proclaim what God has said. Or maybe playing guitar today. Boy, that's, that's good. That's good to help us lead and worship. It's a good thing. Even in those things, what can swell up in the midst of good and noble things? I've often thought, I'll just share this with you, it's good there's not a bubble over my head as I preach of just what goes through. And you've probably find this as well. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying like, well, boy, he's sleeping over there today. And I, I mean, that, that does come up or there's movement or whatever. There's things, but there's also pride. Boy, that just, that sounded pretty, that's, I hope they write that quote down. That's a good one. You know, or, or boy, that guitar, that really, that one note, it just, you see how close it's at hand? And you, I think you see that in the very good things you want to do. Um, prayer meeting nights. We're doing devoted, but we do prayer meeting. We'll, we'll pick that back up again when, we, when we're done with devoted. But they can be nights of trouble. We're trying to go pray, and yet there's evil lies close at hand. It's just experience kind of plays this out. We trust this is God's word. We believe it, but we also see it in, in our lives. Paul sees it too. Well, look at verse 22. Paul sets up these two opposing laws. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. All right, that's delight in the law of God. Kind of comes back again. Now we're back in the believer delighting in the law. Psalm chapter 1, or Psalm 1, verse 2, speaks of the blessed man who does what? Who delights in the law of the Lord. Or Psalm 119, the psalmist says, Your law is my delight. I think it was John MacArthur in answering a question about Romans chapter 7 and just, just who, did, who does Paul have in mind? Is this believers or unbelievers? He made the observation, he says, Unbelievers do not delight in the law of God, but despise it. And I think as we went through Romans chapter 3, we'd have to confirm this. Like chapter 3, verse 10 says, all of us are under sin. That's verse 9. Or those, uh, or ver- let's see, verse 9, I better look it up. I'm trying to quote it. Okay, we're all under sin is verse 9. Then you've got none is righteous. Verse 11, no one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. There's that idea here. Ultimately, there's no fear of God before their eyes. So here in verse 22, Paul's delighting in the law of God. This is an inner man delight. You see, in my inner being, my inner person, that God's penetrating heart work softens stony hearts to the Lord to change our delights, to make us want our joys, our affections towards the, law, the Lord, to really love the Lord. And so that's a wonderful part of God's work, this new delight. I want to read the Scriptures. Praise be the to God that does that in us. But then you've got verse 22 connected right to verse 23 because Paul says, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so here we come again to the, the front lines of the war and the battle and Paul's 
the law of Paul's mind and the law of sin in his members. And I want to try just to distinguish these two facets, this law of Paul's mind and then the law of sin in his members. His mind here, he says, uh, waging war against the law of my mind. Contextually here, I think he has in mind, this is the law law of my mind, meaning what he delights in, in his, his inner being. So in this way, we could look at other parts and maybe sometimes we think, well, the head's got to be connected to the heart. I think this is an inner person desire here of Paul to delight in the Lord, that they're connected to one another, heart, mind connected. And so not disconnected, but he just doesn't, he doesn't know the law kind of in a way like I can recite it back in a cold way, but he, he knows the law. Like I, I, this law in my mind, a delight, I know it. It's kind of like some of you, I could say I know something about hunting, but in this, right, in these days, I don't know if it's this weekend, the first weekend, so I don't even know that. I, I'm assuming that. But you know hunting. You know this gun's going to do this. I'm going to go here. This is how it all works. You know it closely. Or husbands and wives, to use a typical example, know one another more closely than anyone else knows that relationship. There's a knowing. And so there is in Paul. Paul knows in his mind, in his heart, there's a delight of God's law. And then it's set up against another law at work in his members. Paul sees this at work in his members, another law. We've seen this word members before. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, as already said, Paul's admonished, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You see the war of once here? Verse 13 says, Do not present your members, that's chapter 6, verse 13, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And so in verse 23, does Paul, when he uses the word members, does he just simply mean our our physical body or our physical members? And John Murray writes this here. He says, We are not to suppose that the law of sin springs from or has its seat in the physical. Our captivity to the law of sin is evidenced evidenced by the fact that our physical members are the agents and instruments of the power which sin wields over us. Not merely of our members, think of physical body, what we do, but that of our persons. And so there is this war. This, the word translated here, or waging war, it's got, I think, kind of an idea of opposite an army. That's the best I can come up with to kind of break down the word there. You think of what's opposite an army, another army, and hence war, and battlegrounds and opposing forces. And this is the battle. There's a war. And the war is between this delight of Paul in the law of God. He wants to do right, wanting to do good, and yet in his flesh, in his members, in his person, there's another law at work, the sin dwelling in his members. And these desires then are in conflict. And so he can say, he can truly say, I delight in the law of God. And the reality is indwelling sin with, within. It's that, that Latin from Martin Luther, simul justus uh, et peccator, or peccator that we looked at at Sunday school last week. Simultaneously righteous in Christ and yet a sinner at the same time. 
So what is a believer to do? How do you fight this battle? This battle of sin and this battle waging war. Scripture offers many counter moves and strategies. But here in Romans 7, Paul doesn't go there initially. Listen to what he acknowledges first and then the question in verse 24. After all this, what he said, all this back and forth, the war, verse 24, then the conclusion is, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. That's Paul's conclusion. doesn't stop there, but that's a conclusion. I am wretched. I am miserable. I am afflicted. And it's the reality in the life of every believer. And Paul sees the disconnect between the life he wants to live and the reality of his sin. I think we see this as well in James chapter 4. Would you turn there to James chapter 4? I was looking up places where, where do we see wretched? I think there's a place in in Revelation 3 that you can find this. But I want us to look at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Kind of hold your place in Romans. We'll come back shortly. But James 2, and I want to read through this because I think he sees the plight of all of us in this war. And he's got a call for us. And that sounds like Paul. So look at James back in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Kind of sounds like Paul. Sometimes we put Paul and James, you know, apart, like they're right on here. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is, no, it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? <clears throat> Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says... <clears throat> God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Excuse me. What's the call of James? At least one call. Be wretched. And mourn and weep and humble yourselves before the Lord. Some of you, hopefully many of you would agree. You would say, this, this is my battle. This is, this, I want this, but I do this. There's quarrels. There's fighting. There's anger. There's wrong passions. There's friendship with the world. I think it's biblical. It's a, it's a sign of acknowledging reality to call out, like Paul, wretched man that I am. In Christ we don't stay there, but there's that thought. 
and that realization, I, unless God does a work, I'm wretched in this. But then back, as we come back to Romans 7, verse 24, Paul does ask that question then. So I'm wretched. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The NASB has here the question, who will set me free? Or the NIV puts it, who will rescue me? It's a question question the world that is in sin, they're not asking this question. Sinners who are content in sin, or maybe they're happy to acknowledge a certain amount of religion, but they're really indifferent to it, they do not really care. But those that are given eyes to see, they care. Those whose heart has been awakened by the Spirit, they care. And so the way we answer this question of Paul and the way he answers it, who will deliver me, it really sets up the solution. I want to ask before we get to that solution, what might be some bad answers to this question? And I think we can fill in the blank pretty badly, pretty easily. What are some bad answers to who will deliver me? Or how could you answer this question maybe poorly? Maybe, it's, maybe you answer it by just indifference. I don't know who will deliver me. I'm, I'm done trying. I just don't care anymore. Or perhaps maybe we answer this, how, who will deliver me? We say, well, I will. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down. I'm going to follow the law closer. I'm going I'm to try harder. I'm going to get down these commands of God. And I think there's even temptations, and hear me, hear me rightly in this, temptations even in the evangelical world to get better from our wretchedness via ourself or things or events. Perhaps if you attend a Christian conference, or maybe you should buy a Christian book. Conferences are good. Books are good. But who will deliver? Maybe, maybe more consecration. You, you just, just rededicate yourself. That's the way out. Or maybe a fresh start. I'm going to get some new friends. Or maybe a fresh church. Uh, for me, I like to go, maybe you've seen, I like to go kayaking. And I love to get out in the woods in the quiet. And it's just like, boy, if I need some spiritual, to be spiritually recharged, head to the woods and some, some quiet, go out on the river, that sort of thing. But is that the solution? And, and in all these, in a way, if you can see it, the solution is found where? In something I'm going to do. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to kind of, orchestrate my own deliverance. Paul's answer to this question, this question of such a wretched state of delighting in God and yet persistence in sin, it's an answer the woods alone will not do. No conference in and of itself will not do. No book, no church, no amount of rededication, unless, and now here in all those things, unless those things take you to where Paul goes in verse 25. Look at the first part of verse 25. Where will I go? Wretched man, who's going to deliver me? Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's answer, perhaps surprisingly, is thankfulness. What a month in November as we approach Thanksgiving. Thanks be to God. Do you have something to share around the table this year? Absolutely. Thanks be to God. It's in Christ. There's deliverance. There's present deliverance in Christ. Peace with God. We're justified in Christ before God. And then there's future hope of deliverance when that 
mortal puts on immortality and we live forever with the Lord. Dear Christian, the good news is not the gospel only for your salvation on the day of your conversion. It's good news, you and I, and we need this good news today. It's the good news we need tomorrow and the next day. It's the good news we need to hear next Sunday and then a year from now on that Sunday and that week and that day. As good as conferences are and books, and they are good, I would encourage you to read good books Go to conferences. Be encouraged. Head to the woods. I think I will keep going to the woods, but we don't need them necessarily. We don't need them to deliver us. We have a deliverer. It's right here in the text. One who's rescued and redeemed all who put their faith in Him, in Christ alone. So verse 25 concludes then. So then. Paul says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul is a slave to the law of God. He delights in God's law. This passage, this is not Paul finding a new way out of somehow obeying or out of obedience. If if the Holy Spirit dwells within, guess what we're going to desire? Holiness as well. But the Spirit is also going to lead us to the ground of our hope and why we can wake up tomorrow and the next day. And the Spirit leads us as Paul in this answer to Jesus Christ our Lord. John Murray notes here on Paul, basically repeating himself again. This last line, you could say, yes, we've seen this through the chapter. You're, you're, You're not sharing anything new. But John Murray says this, this repetition would indicate that the triumphant thanksgiving in the early part of the verse, okay, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, does not itself bring to an end the conflict delineated. Okay, so Murray's saying that just by announcing this doesn't mean the conflict's over. He says hope is embraced, and that hope is exultant and breaks out in thanksgiving, but realization is not yet. There's hope For that one day, we live in this already justified, declared righteous by the righteousness of Christ, put in our faith in Him, and yet we look forward one day to that final glorification in the Lord. J.I. Packer notes here, he says, Paul's sense of how painfully paradoxical it is that a Christian man like himself, who desires so heartily to keep God's law and do only good, should find himself under the constant necessity of breaking the law and doing what in effect is evil. But such is the state of the Christian till his body is redeemed. Paul here being first to acknowledge his wretchedness. He gives us a glimpse towards the hope of every pastor, elder, and every member of the congregation. Your pastor, me, is a wretched man. Your elders that serve you are wretched men. And you, dear men and women and boys and girls, are wretched. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. May the tune coming coming out of here, out of our hearts and lives, may the tune be Christ alone.
That it's in Him alone. It's the tune of our life. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Him. It's what He's done. He's my deliverer. He's my rescue. He's my redemption. And to put our hope in Him. As we close, I just have one don't and one do coming out of today. Number one, and I hope in, in the believer in which God has done a work, you don't find this, but don't find in this passage or what I've said about Christ and this deliverance in Him a call to passivity. Don't find that. You know, kind of a, well, why try? There's a conflict. I mean, just, okay, and just whatever will be, will be. This is not the call of the New Testament. We are to put off that sin nature, and we are to put on this new life in Christ. There's admonition to walk by the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. But the ground of it, the ground of it is centered on our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So do. So don't just succumb to passivity. Fight hard, but be grounded in your hope in your life and in your working and in your striving and in the putting off and in the putting on. Be grounded in Christ. So when you find yourself in your own wretchedness, look once again to the cross and the Savior who took our sins upon Himself and imputes to us His righteousness. And then we look, and we look forward to hopefulness. We celebrate in a month or two the Advent. Yes, Christ came as a child to become man, and yet He's coming again, and to look with hope on that day as well. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessing it is, I think, as I've noted before in this passage in Romans 7 it, Paul could have just kind of left us alone and said I, you, you got the gospel just go live a sanctified life and yet we're drawn into his struggle with the flesh and the struggle with indwelling sin and it's a struggle that every believer will have as we wrestle with this new nature that says I want you Lord I want to love you I want to walk with you I want to do the things I want to love my neighbor or my family. I want to love in the way you loved, and yet we see this wrestle and this tension and this war. Lord, I pray that this war would only serve to draw us closer to Christ, as Paul does at the end here, and as we will, and as we're going to see in the next chapter. Lord, may you lead us to you and to the gospel of Jesus. May it not be ever tiresome on our lips or old news, but the good news that we need every day, all the time, that our hope is in you alone, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for delivering us wretched sinners. May you work in us to bring you glory and to love you and to walk hard with you, walk in your spirit, grounded upon the cross and the hope of resurrection. We pray this in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.